Hello, one and all, and welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show here on the Logan Blackman Show podcast. Before we get going into today's episode, I just want to say, let's go and make sure you're following the Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media. Twitter, the Logan Blackman Show. No, don't do that. Don't do that. That is an old Twitter account. Logan underscore Blackman. Follow that one. That's where we post all the stuff for the show. Instagram, the Logan Blackman Show 1, and then Blackman Logan's the personal account. Search the Logan Blackman Show on Facebook. Give it a like. And, of course, go and subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. Just search Logan Blackman Show. And since you're listening to the podcast right now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, you should make sure you are following or subscribe to that as well. And make sure you give it a rating on Apple Podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Oh, man. I am trying to suck get some energy for this show today. You know, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. So I, the game, the United States just played Jamaica like an hour ago, maybe a half hour ago. The game just ended. Let's just put it like that. Ended 1-1. United States scored first through a Timothy Weah goal, which was very weird to watch live and then watch the replays like, oh, that's why it looked weird. It hit off the post. That's why it was weird. And then you had a Mikel Antonio screamer from out, well outside the box that no one would have saved. Not, no one with, in a, no one had a shot. At saving that ball. Nobody. You could put Neuer in net. Yen Oblak in net. You could have put Prime Yev net. Jeez. Lev Yashin in goal. And he wouldn't have saved that shot either. Okay? Like, it was a screamer. And the United States are very, very fortunate to come away with a dub. Or dub. A draw in that game. Very fortunate. There was a a little controversy around two calls in the game. One of them was a non-call, I guess I should say. It was a Chris Richards handball in the box. I am prevy to saying that it was not a handball, but that's just me. They're, they went to the halftime studio, and you had a Gochiani Ewu, Clint Dempsey, Charlie Davies talking about it. And a Gochiani Ewu said it was a handball, whereas Clint Dempsey and Charlie Davies said it wasn't a handball. So it was. it's mixed. It's mixed. A Gochiani Ewu basically said he went chicken wing and hit it with his top of his arm, which I, I guess... I guess, if we're being technical, I guess he did hit it with his arm, but I wouldn't say it was outside of a natural position. Now, if his arm was sticking way out instead of up against his body, then yeah, I would understand where you get a penalty out of that. But either way, it wasn't called. And there's no VAR in CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers because they don't think, or the countries that they play in down in Latin America don't have the technology to have a a correct or a more accurate VAR system is what the ruling is. This is what they've actually said. This isn't coming from me. This is what they've actually said and why there's no VAR in CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers. And then the other goal, or the other thing that happened for Jamaica, they had a headed goal in like the 80th-something minute from a corner, and it was called off because the defender who headed it in had an arm to the back of Walker Zimmerman, and it got called off. Thankfully, that was weak. It was a very weak call, but you know what? <laughs> you'll, you'll take it. Every single day. When you are getting outplayed by a team you should be beating fairly easily, and I know Jamaica's played really well recently, you need some breaks like that. <laughs> I don't know. They should have lost the game. Apart from the goal they had, it wasn't really any time that was like, okay, yeah, I feel comfortable with the United States winning this game. It was boring as hell. There was really no chance that got sent to Andre Blake's goal, the goalkeeper for Jamaica, that was like, oh, yeah, 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 that's going to threaten him. That's going to threaten him very mightily there. Gianluca Busio did have a shot that curved just inches above the bar, which is a very nice goal or shot from him. Sadly, he didn't go in. But it's boring as hell. Boring, especially coming off such an emotional win against Mexico. Now, it was a few days ago, 
and some of your better players were out of the game, namely Weston McKinney and Miles Robinson. Miles Robinson with a red card, and Weston McKinney with accumulation of yellow cards saw him miss this game. But man, you shouldn't be drawn to Jamaica. I know they've kind of struggled against Jamaica in World Cup qualifying. They struggled against them a little bit against them in the Gold Cup this past year. But you have to win this game. You have to. It is the second youngest World Cup qualifying team the United States has ever fielded, but the youngest team went out there and won. Okay? And you didn't have Christian Pulisic coming off the bench for that team. We have Pulisic's not 100%, and in the game, in the first half, Jamaica had like seven fouls. So it was kind of nerve-wracking to see Christian Pulisic come in. I'm sure a lot of Chelsea fans out there that don't have ties to the United States were biting their fingernails going, oh my God, Christian Pulisic's going to get hurt again, which is what he's done pretty much his entire time at Chelsea. Though João Cancelo, right back slash left back from Manchester City, did say that Christian Pulisic is the toughest winger to defend in the Premier League, which is awesome. But he just needs to stay healthy because Chelsea's a very deep squad with very good talent on the wing. Just very good squad depth in general, very good talent around throughout the squad. But on the wings, you're competing with likes of Kai Havertz, Mason Mount, uh, Timo Werner, Hakim Ziyech. Callum hudson Adoy, like you've got all these really nice players that you're competing with and you can't risk getting hurt worse and missing more playing time than he already has at his time at Chelsea. Because Chelsea runs that interesting 5-2-3 formation or 3-4-2-1 uh, where more like inverted wingers more so than actual out-and-out wingers. Where you see like Kai Havertz and Mason Mount drift inside a little bit more though they're lined up as wingers to allow the likes of Reese James whenever he's playing right wing back or center back and then you got a Marcus Alonso on the other side that he could just bomb and take up all those areas down that wing. But Pulisic needs to play, needs to stay healthy for both the United States and Chelsea. But coming off a very awesome win against Mexico to going into that game, oh man, the energy levels went from super high to super low real quick. My friend Noah, who I watched the game with, he was like, this is a game you could have definitely taken a nap through. It's 100% right. <laughs> you could have definitely slept through this game. Now, did we learn anything from this game that we didn't know already? Not really. I think this is a really on-brand performance to the United States. Going up and getting a massive win and then disappointing the very next game or living below expectations against a team that you should be beating. This is very on-brand for the United States men's national team. So am I surprised? Not really. I just thought, you know, it's Jamaica. They struggled early. They've gotten better. But you do have Mikel Antonio, who's a very scary, threatening player who's been in really good form for West Ham this season, just became their all-time leader in Premier League goals for the for the Hammers. And then they have Ravel Morrison coming off the bench, which I, I forgot. We talked about him in the Gold Cup videos that we did, which if you haven't, make sure, again, to go and watch those videos. They're on the YouTube channel, so make sure you're subscribed there as well. But I, it surprised the hell out of me when I saw him trot onto the field. It's like, good Lord, they're bringing up Ravel Morrison. That's pretty awesome. Not... Not for any good reasons, but it is pretty awesome to see Raphael Morrison go out on the field. Oh my goodness, he was supposed to be better than Paul Pogba, but now he's having a chance to play with Jamaica and did make somewhat of an impact. Didn't do a whole lot, but did have a shot on goal in the game, which was easily saved by Zach Steffen. He did carry a ball down the sideline a few times. But yeah, geez, Raphael Morrison. And the game in general, much like Raphael Morrison's career, Disappointing. <laughs> Came out with a, a draw, though. Loss would have been very, 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 very worst-case scenario here. We are big Canada fans tonight. Okay, Canada and Mexico are playing 
in uh, Vancouver or Edmonton. I can't remember exactly. It's one of those two places. I feel like it's Edmonton, but I could be wrong. But yeah, boring, 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 boring game. I hope this show isn't boring. <laughs> That's. I don't want a show to be just like the show or like the game I just sat through because that would be very, very depressing. One thing that has not been boring, or at least this past weekend, was Monday Night Football. Good Lord. Now, raise your hand. If you're listening to the show, raise your hand if you feel obliged to or obligated to. Who thought the San Francisco 49ers would go into this game and absolutely shit-stomp the Rams? I don't think it's a surprise that they beat the Rams because Sean McVay has struggled mightily against the San Francisco 49ers in his career. But man, like the way that it happened, after they just got Von Miller and Odell Beckham suited up for the game, and playing, now Odell Beckham, I think, played like 15 snaps or something like that. But man, the, the 49ers destroyed them. And what was even better in fantasy football this week, I was, remember preseason, or I guess it was right before we, the season started, so I guess he yeah, had preseason. We were talking about fantasy football draft and all that, and we had the guy in my league trash my running backs, which is kind of funny looking back at it in hindsight, going... Wow, they trashed Jonathan Taylor and Najee Harris, who have been two of the best running backs in fantasy football this season, with Jonathan Taylor overtaking Derrick Henry in fantasy points this season. Yeah, that's the same thing. So I was playing him this weekend. I could not lose to him. After having the disrespect towards my running backs preseason, I could not afford to lose. And he had Elijah Mitchell and George Kittle. But your boy had himself some Matt Gay and Debo Samuel. And I got really stressed out for the vast majority of this game. I'm on a six-game winning streak right now. And I did not want to lose to the team that said that my running backs were trash before the season started. So when the Rams walked out there right before halftime and faked a short field goal, my heart sank a little bit. Matt Gay hit an extra point earlier, but then they faked the field goal. So that takes points away from Matt Gay. That... That's not great. That's not what I needed. So I sent in our fantasy football chat. I was like, if I lose this game because the Rams faked a field goal, I'm going to be very, very upset. Thankfully, Debo Samuel carried my team the rest of the way. Scored 25 points last night. Scored a touchdown on fourth down to seal the victory for yours truly. I saw George Kittle score early in the game, and I was stressing. But then... Thank you to Kyle Shanahan. I'm sorry that on on Monday that we said you could be one of the coaches on the hot seat, the dark horse coach on the hot seat, because, man, you playing Debo Samuel at running back during this game was beautiful. Now, Elijah Mitchell still had, like, 92 yards or something in the game, but he didn't score. That's the key thing here. He did not score. George Kittle and Elijah Mitchell combined for, like, 17 points or something, maybe 19 points. Debo himself had 25. <laughs> then Matt Gay chipped in with a field goal late in the game and got four points in the game. But good Lord, they trounced the LA Rams. It was awesome. I like both teams to a certain extent. I would say that I liked the St. Louis Rams a lot more than the LA Rams, but that's not very hard to do because the St. Louis Rams are a very likable and fun team to watch. The first football game I actually remember watching was the... St. Louis Rams versus New England Patriots in the Super Bowl at my Nana and Papa's house. That is what that is the first football game I actually remember watching. I was 
five at the time, or just turned five. And the 49ers, I've talked about Steve Young at nauseum on this show at times, about how I think he's one of the most underrated quarterbacks in NFL history. I don't think Steve Young gets nearly as much credit as what he should, and I know he's in the Hall of Fame, he won a Super Bowl, but man, that dude's freaking awesome. Steve Young is a beast. And they rocked the uniforms that Steve Young trounced the Chargers with in the Super Bowl back in 1994. When Steve Young threw for, I think, six touchdowns in one of the worst, no, the worst Super Bowl in NFL history. <laughs> 49ers versus Chargers. Stan Humphrey-led Chargers. With a defense that was led by Ronnie Harrison, or geez, Rodney Harrison and Junior Seau. Defense was fine. The offense with Stan Humphreys at quarterback was kind of stressful. A guy who's never been a star in the league before that. Played with Washington a few years. And he leads the charge to the Super Bowl. Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers couldn't do that. Dan Fouts couldn't do that. Yet Stan Humphreys leads the charge to the Super Bowl. And they get matched up against Steve Young, Jerry Rice, and freaking Deion Sanders. That's a little unfair. I would have just not played. <laughs> and it, it turned out that way too. But they rocked those uniforms. Which are beautiful, beautiful uniforms. The black outline or the black, what do you call that type of text there? The drop text, the black in the background. I could take or leave that. I could take or leave the black drop text on that. But the beautiful, they're, they're great uniforms. The 49ers just have beautiful uniforms in general. I think a few years ago on the Logan Blackman show at UNI, when we were doing the live show, I think we were doing tier list or did a tier list. And I said the 49ers had the best uniforms in the NFL. And I stand by that. It was the 49ers and the Chargers, the two best uniforms in the NFL. And I will stand by that forever. <laughs> two beautiful sets of uniforms. It just hurts the fact that they had to play each other in the Super Bowl and one had to destroy the other's will to live. And the Chargers hadn't been to a Super Bowl before or since then. Because <laughs> it was that bad. They've been close a couple times. Gone to a couple AFC Championship games with Phillip Rivers. Never could make it to the promised land. Never could make it to the promised land. But that game was awesome. I don't think I've been that stressed over a game I had no affiliation with in my entire life. Like, I I like the, I would say I like the 49ers more than the Rams. But it wouldn't have hurt me if the Rams won the game. But watching them, like, I was somewhat cheering when the 49ers had to punt. Or didn't move the ball. Because that meant that, yeah, Devo Samuel might not get anything. But that keeps the ball out of Elijah Mitchell and George Kittle's hands. Which I love George Kittle. And it hurt me to cheer against George Kittle last night. But I had to for my own safety, my own good. I had to cheer for cheer against George Kittle. But with them off the field, the only person that could get points out of this matchup was Matt Gay. Which, again, screw Sean McVay for trotting out a fake field goal that did not work. So like the football gods saw that and were like, yeah, Logan, we're going we're gonna to right this wrong here. We're going to drop them for a big loss. <laughs> and it was beautiful. That's what you get, Sean McVay. And the loss is, that is what you get. But we came out victors. God bless Debo Samuel. He had more yards through eight games this season than Jerry Rice. I don't remember what, I think it was the year they went to the Super Bowl. He has more yards. Debo Samuel's playing freaking awesome. He's number two in fantasy points at wide receiver this year. I got him in like the 10th round or something. Good freaking Lord. What a pickup. Debo Samuel. Thank you for the 49ers for not really having any other weapons on offense. Thank you to Brandon Ayuk for not really doing anything this year and getting in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse early in the year. 
Because George Kittle, I love you, but thank you for getting hurt. 49ers, thank you for not having any real running backs and having to run out with Elijah Mitchell. And Elijah Mitchell's played great. I don't want to take anything away from Elijah Mitchell. But having him back there has allowed Debo Samuel to go off a little bit more because they don't really have any other weapons. And Debo Samuel's so versatile, you can line him up at running back. You can play him at slot. You can rotate him in. Dude does everything. And he's a freaking tank and his name's Debo. Which, if you have never watched the Friday movie, or movies, but the first one, because that's the one Debo's in, I would highly recommend it. It's one of my dad and I's favorite movies to watch together. It's a beautiful, beautiful movie. One of my friends doesn't like it, but screw him. What does he know? He don't know anything. I am telling you, does he host a podcast? No, he doesn't. I do. So by that logic, I you should listen to me. But all in all, thank you. God bless you, Debo Samuel. God bless you, Debo Samuel. And while we're on the topic of the 49ers, so remember in the 2022 or 2021 NFL draft, the number three pick was the most highly talked about pick in the entire draft. We knew who was going one. We thought we knew who was going two. Because remember, we all knew who Trevor Lawrence was going one, but until the pro day, there were some talks that Zach Wilson wouldn't go number two. But after the pro day, I was like, okay, yeah, he's going number two. But the number three pick was between Trey Lance and Mac Jones. And we sat on this show and praised both of them because I thought Mac Jones was awesome at Bama. He's not the most mobile guy out there. He's not the most athletic-looking quarterback ever. But he gets the job done. He's uber-confident, which is what you want in your starting quarterback. He's accurate. He moves well in the pocket. He might not move well past the line of scrimmage. He might not break off 20-yard carries every now and again. But he doesn't get hit. (laughs) He's very smart, very accurate, very competitive, very confident, cocky. That's what you want in your starting quarterback. But I understand why they took Trey Lance, and I wanted them to take Trey Lance. I really wanted them to take Trey Lance, even though in my last mock draft we had them taking Mac Jones because that's what everybody was saying. But Trey Lance, I think, if you're looking, we're just talking about ceilings here, Trey Lance has the higher ceiling because Trey Lance has a stronger arm, is bigger than Mac Jones, can move a lot better than Mac Jones. That's what you're looking for when you're talking about building prospects. Do you have those natural traits that you can mold into something that's great, which is what we think Trey Lance is. And after watching him at North Coast State, I know he can do that stuff. He can be the quarterback that we're expecting him to be. And we've said numerous times, if he meets his ceiling, you can go back and listen to shows from the draft If Trey Lance meets his ceiling, he will be the best quarterback out of this draft class. If he meets his ceiling, which is bare, it's there. His range for how good he can be is insane. Like we're talking about just how good he can be versus how bad he could be. There's a lot of wiggle room in there. Wiggle room that you might not want to work with at times. So if you were trying to take the safer prospect because you knew what you were getting was Mac Jones. And the reason I'm bringing up Mac Jones today is because Tyron Matthew was tweeting about Mac Jones today. And he said, Mac Jones wasn't tr- wasn't trendy enough for y'all at first, huh? Now, you, now y'all love him. Man, y'all funny. Day in and day out. Y'all should be on Comedy Central. He didn't throw, he don't throw sidearm or run fast when people knocked him. Duke can play QB, period. Which is exactly what we said during the whole draft process. Mac Jones can play. Mac Jones is confident. <laughs> Mac Jones is accurate. He moves very well in the pocket. He can be funny to watch when he runs. He can't slide for shit. 
I remember what game was it? I think it was a preseason game this year. I think it was the Patriots Eagles preseason game. It was Mac Jones's first start, I believe. Cause we talked about that right after we talked. We went. We did a show right after Mac Jones's preseason game. I don't remember what show it was, but it was Mac Jones versus the Eagles. I don't remember exactly when it was. But he slid and got up slow. And the announcer's like, oh, Matt Jones looks hurt. Nope, he's not. That's just what he looks like when he slides. He just can't slide. I don't know what it is. If you've never seen this before, I would recommend, if you want to learn how to slide, go and watch Hawaii's quarterback sliding practices. They're one of the, they're some of the most insane things you'll ever see. I don't know if they're on YouTube still or not, but they would get these quarterbacks to slide, and they had like a 15-pound a tackling dummy that a coach would like swing at a quarterback's head. So if you slid late, you were guaranteed to get a concussion. Maybe knocked out, depending on how the coach hit you and where he hits you on the head. But they were really funny to watch. I watched that at William Penn because they were so funny. Mac should probably learn how to watch that, or the Patriots should learn to do that for Mac Jones. But Mac can play. I It bothered me so much. There were two things that bothered me in the draft process. It was that Mac Jones... Can't play. That is what hurt, irked me a lot. The other thing is Zach Wilson's a douchebag, an asshat. That wasn't true either. Matt, he was listed as captain at BYU, voted on by his teammates, and then we had Todd McShay and, um, crap, what's his name? On Fox. He does the games with Gus Johnson. What's, what the hell is his name? Joel Klatt coming out here and say, oh yeah, he wasn't actually voted captain. They just put C's on anybody's jersey, I guess. Because he had a C on his jersey. You don't just get that. You get voted by your teammates. It was a part of numerous captaincy votings at William Penn. Numerous. Two. (laughs) High school, it rotated every week, but William Penn, we did it twice. But everybody votes for it. It's not just like, oh yeah, you're the quarterback, here's a C. No one voted for you, but we're going to give it to you anyways. And then that same narrative carried over to the fact that, oh, he sucks and he's an asshat because his uncle owns JetBlue. He comes from a rich background, so that means he sucks and is a dickhead. That doesn't correlate. Correlation does not equal causation. Just because his uncle's rich does not mean Zach Wilson is all automatically an asshat. That's not how this works. And then we had the unnamed scout come out and say Zach Wilson has character issues. The unnamed scout that didn't have the enough character to say with his chest and say, hey, Zach, I'm the one who's bashing your character, but I'm not going to tell you who I am. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you who I am, but your character sucks. Cause that's really, that's big character right there. Hiding behind a, behind an unnamed scout label, bashing someone else's character. And then just finally enough, Zach Wilson is voted captain of the Jets as a rookie, but he wasn't a good character in college. He sucked in college. He was an asshole. Douchebag. Remember, his uncle's rich. Zach Wilson comes from a privileged background. Of course he sucks. And then I haven't heard the same narrative when he got voted captain in the NFL. That narrative just started, all of a sudden just got taken away. And then with Mike White balling out for those one games, <laughs> having a good game against the Colts too before getting picked first overall by Teron Johnson, Taron Johnson, and then Trey, Trey White, and then... Levi Wallace and and Jordan Poyer, but that's beside the point. Zach Wilson was all over him, congratulating him on the game. If he was such an asshole, it would have been, 
oh, I'm not going to say anything to him. I'm going to keep my distance away from him, and we're not going to talk. No, him and Mike White were in preseason pictures together. They went to an Islanders game before the season started. And then you have Zach Wilson blowing up Mike White's phone while he's playing in the game. And then Mike White saying, dude's just a real genuine kid. But I, I, Mike, that, that doesn't fit with our pre-draft. That doesn't work. Mike, we can't say that. And then we had the whole thing that he's small. Zach Wilson is not small. I don't know where that, Colin Coward came up with that one. Zach Wilson's like 6'2", 6'3", 210. He's not a small quarterback. Like, <laughs> he's not small whatsoever. I don't know where that narrative came from. And then we compared him to Johnny Manziel because he wears a headband, has a sleeve, and wears number two. Because that means the same thing. That's like saying Joe Burrow is going to suck because no other quarterback in the NFL from LSU ever worked out. Because Jamarcus Russell was a bust. Just because they went to the same school does not mean that one's going to be, that Joe Burrow's going to suck because the other one before him sucked. The same thing got said about Justin Fields. The same thing got said about Derek Carr. He couldn't be a good quarterback in the NFL because his brother was a bust, which David Carr got murdered in Houston. So Derek Carr followed the second round. And Derek Carr's had a very good NFL career. Elite? No, but good NFL career. I had to do that for Kevin. That doesn't equal the same thing. Oh, he looks like him. That means he's a douchebag. Oh, he's rich. Douchebag. No. Stop doing that. And I'm glad Zach Wilson never came over and talked about these things. Because the media would have jumped on that again. Good lord. And then another thing about the draft that is kind of annoying. It's not really like anything that irked me. But Trevor Lawrence is a can't-miss prospect. Anybody can miss. That's the one of the dumbest phrases in football. Can't miss prospect. That's, a, that's on the same par as system quarterback. I hate those two phrases. System quarterback and can't miss prospect. You know how many can't miss prospects have missed in their NFL career? Quite a few. Quite a few. <laughs> Tim Couch was a can't miss prospect from Kentucky. He was the number one overall pick when he was a freshman at Kentucky. And then Browns fans booed it or cheered when he got hurt. That's a can't-miss prospect right there. Ryan Leaf. It was between him and Peyton Manning. Can't-miss prospect, Ryan Leaf. And then uh, he missed. It happens. Josh Rosen. Sam Darnold. Can't-miss. Ever heard it? Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen can't play or need a ton of development, and now they're by far the two best quarterbacks of that draft class? By far, it's not even close. There's some things in the draft that irk me more than others, but those were a few things in last year's or this past year's draft that really chapped my khakis, if we're going to use some stupid cliche here. that it, it did bother me. You can go back and listen to old shows about that. And then just me doing revisionist history here, like Pro Football Focus or something, saying George Kittle was the best tight end in college football they've ever scouted when he had 300 total yards receiving. Like, probably 600 career yards at Iowa. But he's the best tight end we've ever scouted. Okay. The same people that said Duck Hodges. Remember him? He's not. A, I don't think he's on a team anymore. But he was better than Josh Allen, which is why the Steelers are going to beat the Bills a few years ago, which just so happened to be the same game. I think he threw three interceptions against the Bills, and the Bills won and went to the playoffs from that game. But yeah, Duck Hodges is better than Josh Allen. I love these kind of things. But you can go back and listen to old shows. You can go back and look at my mock drafts. 
yeah, in the draft process, we ranked it. Lawrence, Fields, and Wilson were one and two, or number two. They were kind of equal. And then Lance, Jones. That was the order. That doesn't mean I bashed Mac Jones. No, I defended Mac Jones, and I defended the hell out of Zach Wilson. And I'm going to keep defending, even though he's on the Jets. I mean, screw the Jets. They're kind of a pot. Okay, I almost said it. That's another <laughs> another phrase I hate. Poverty franchise. I almost said it. I was. I, uh, I hate that I almost said that because I. I it irks me when I, I see it on Twitter all the time. Some of my friends say it. I don't want to say that. <laughs> the Jets are a bad. Fr- I don't. I don't want to say it. I didn't mean it. I, I don't want to be the one that says poverty franchise. I can't believe that almost came out of my mouth. They're just a hard team to watch. Let's just put it like that. But I'll defend Zach Wilson. I cheered for the Jets when they beat the Titans because screw the Titans as well. And it was kind of funny because remember the Titans were going to be a uh, good movie. We're going to be really good. And now they, they are really good. <laughs> but they were supposed to beat a team that had not won. It was arguably the worst team in the NFL at the time. And then they lost. <laughs> Zach Wilson won in overtime. Oh, man. But speaking, I this is kind of funny how this is all working out. It's not actually supposed to be this coherent of a show where it's everything's following each other it's kind of just happening on the fly but Robert Sala and the whole Rex Ryan situation oh man oh man Rex Ryan Bill's legend head coach um <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of Rex Ryan I'm not I'm not a hate I don't hate Rex Ryan by any stretch of the imagination I think he's an intriguing character he had two really good years with the jet really well yeah really good Regular season record, not really, but postseason, you go to -to back-to-back AFC championship games all as the road team with Mark Sanchez, that's pretty damn impressive. With a really good defense, Sean Green, LaDainian Tomlinson, I think Braylon Edwards was on that team as well, Nick Mangold, Bart Scott, Darrell Revis, Antonio Cromartie, I feel like, was on that team as well. He had a really good team. Somehow. (laughs) But they're comparing Robert Sala to... Rex Ryan and I heard a little snippet from a show today. It popped up on my Twitter feed. It was Rex Ryan talking about Robert Sala because a lot of people were comparing Robert Sala to Rex Ryan, and Rex Ryan took offense to that. Which Rex Ryan has never been one per one per peep, one person to mince words or to shy away from attention. He's always like, "Ah, I'm Rex Ryan. Here I am." So how his dad was too, but Buddy Ryan. Great defensive coordinator, but watch his stuff with the Eagles, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Funny stuff. It's not anything bad. It's just really funny. Watch him and Ditka go back and forth at it. But he basically was on the line saying, never compare this guy to me. What if he turns out to be good? And then then he goes better than Rex Ryan, and they're like, yeah, we should have never compared him to Rex Ryan. But defensively, I could kind of, to a certain extent, hear where Rex Ryan's coming from about how the Jets' defense is terrible. And Robert Sala is supposed to be this really good defensive coordinator. And the 49ers defense wasn't like the greatest defense of all time under his tenure. It got better as it went on, but they started off pretty atrocious when you look at the players they had. And then they started building the D-line. You add Nick Bosa. You add DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead. And then you trade DeForest Buckner, which is uh, not great, but you got Javon Kinlaw, who hasn't really played a lot. The Solomon Thomas draft pick, bust he's on the Raiders now that was pretty stupid draft pick which no one really talks about in the grand scheme of things the 49ers went into the season with Brian Hoyer at quarterback and drafted CJ Beathard in the third round and their third pick they drafted Solomon Thomas but no one talks about that one 
It's just the Bears that we got to make fun of, remember? The Bears are the ones that really screwed up. Not the 49ers, because they, they, they took um, – you got Jimmy Garoppolo, and then they got uh, – signed him to a massive contract, and then uh, now they drafted the quarterback two years later. So he can't stay healthy. But, yeah, no, they're, we don't make fun of them. We don't make fun of them. We don't make fun of Kyle Shanahan for his drafting and not being great at it and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it was, it's really funny watching the Robert Sala and uh, Rex Ryan, two completely different personalities, going at it from the means of social media. It's kind of funny. I saw something about Robert, Robert, what, blah, 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 what Robert Sala said in retaliation to what Rex Ryan said, and I don't really remember what he said. It was something, I believe, along the lines of, if he wants to talk, he knows where to find me, or something stupid like that. You know, the, the oh, if he wants to talk in person, he has my number. Call me, and we'll meet at this place so we can fight. I mean, that's the kind of vibes I get from it. <laughs> but the Jets, from where they're coming from, it's going to be hard to get to decent defense, you're going to have to build it up, which is what Robert Saul is trying to do. It just has been a lot slower than what people expected originally because it was kind of like, oh yeah, they're bad, but let's get let's get better. We got good de- we got good pieces. CJ Mosley's back. Marcus May is a pretty decent safety, even though he's on IR now. And then you've got Bryce Hall's pretty decent at corner. Quincy or uh, Quinnen Williams. Quincy Williams is his brother. Quinnen Williams has developed into a pretty decent defensive tackle. But you got to work on the edges. You lose Carl Lawson at the beginning of the season to a torn Achilles, or I believe that's what it was. Kind of makes your pass rush go way down. Now, I will say this past game against the Bills was the first game the Jets had an interception by defensive back all season. That's not great. That's very not that's not ideal at all. Which is why you'll see a lot of mock drafts and myself give the Jets Derek Stingley. I think it's the most obvious fit for the Jets because their secondary is not very good. Marcus May, their best defensive backs, hurt. Lamarcus Joyner is on IR as well. So your two starting safeties are out. Bryce Hall been a bit injured throughout his time in the NFL and in college. Michael Carter, you just drafted him this year, not the running back, the defensive back. You got two Michael Carters on the team. But yeah, defensively, they need to get it figured out. I think offensively, I know they've been kind of rough to watch at times on offense. I think they're building something on offense. We talked about that during the preseason, about how getting Zach Wilson, getting Elijah Moore, getting Michael Carter, the running back, getting Elijah Vera Tucker, those are nice pieces to build on. Mekhi Becton getting hurt first game of the year, dislocating his kneecap. How big he is, that's pretty gruesome of an injury. And replacing him with George Fant, yeah, that's going to go downhill pretty fast. That's not a very great like-for-like replacement right there. George Fant is not that good. And Makai Becton is one of the better young tackles in the NFL. And you also got, on offense, you got Corey Davis, you got Jameson Crowder, Denzel Mims, who we kind of talked about during the two years ago draft. Where we talked about, you can, I think this show still exists. I think we were on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at that point. But that draft was a weird one because I remember flipping back and forth between Denzel Mims and Brandon Ayuk for that draft. I got, let's see. I should have that still up on my website. I didn't even think I was going to talk about this. But the main reason I was kind of flipping back and forth on this, or why I'm upset about it now, is because looking back at it, uh... 
Denzel Mims is a Baylor wide receiver, which, you know, if you know the, the talk about Baylor wide receivers, their route trees are never developed. That's been a common theme. Apart from Josh Gordon, who's got his other issues, apart from his route tree, that's been a common theme with Baylor wide receivers in the NFL. Not a lot of great Baylor wide receivers throughout NFL history that I can think of. There's maybe one that's just dominant, and I just can't think of who it is. But Denzel Mims, I ended up putting him first. I got, I'm fi- I found my mock draft, my first one, or my mock draft 5.0. This is the first time I've looked at it since the draft. <laughs> and I had, where did I have him going? Denzel Mims going to the Vikings. Okay. So the main reason behind this was I had just, I didn't think Justin Jefferson would follow the Vikings. <laughs> I did not think that would act, I didn't think that was possible. And uh, Denzel Mims flipped back and forth. And then once the draft happened, I was like, oh shit, he's a Baylor wide receiver. Why did I, and I have why I'm an idiot on this website as well, which is right next to the mock draft 5.0 from 2020. And I look back and I'm like, ugh, that was not ideal. The worst one that I had was, uh, where is he at? Justin Herbert. Good Lord. I didn't fall all the way to 14. Don't know why, but that's what people were saying. Cause I remember getting pissed off myself because I remember, looking at mock drafts at the time to see, like, compare and contrast. And the Chargers, Anthony Lynn was the head coach at the time. They just had Tyrod Taylor there. And you know Anthony Lynn, he's got a ridiculous man crush on Tyrod Taylor. Worked together in Buffalo, brought him over to L.A. Like, if Tyrod Taylor didn't get his lungs punctured last year, Tyrod Taylor would have been the starter the entire season. If he didn't get hurt, Tyrod Taylor's the starter the entire year, and we never see Justin Herbert, at least last year. But that was what brought me to do this because I remember, I think it was Peter King. I could be wrong. I think it was Peter King had Andrew Thomas going to the Chargers. Chargers O-line was trash. They like they just revamped the entire offensive line. They had the worst offensive line in the league last year. They have gotten all new pieces on the O-line apart from right tackle, but Brian Belaga's already hurt. They have all new pieces there. But Andrew Thomas was getting somewhat linked there. He went to the Giants at four. So here's my top five, which I got... This is what it probably should have been, looking back at it. Joe Burrow, one. Chase Young, two. Jeff Okuda hasn't been the best in the NFL from what his uh, what the initial thoughts were. Tristan Wirfs, he's been the best tackle in this draft by far. He should have definitely gone to the Giants at four. And then two at five. And then Herbert fell to the, the Patriots. I had CeeDee Lamb going to the Raiders, which in hindsight, uh, speed kills, which is why... I should have had Henry Ruggs go there. And I remember, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah talking about that uh, Henry Ruggs would be the first wide receiver taken in the 2020 NFL draft because of the fact going into the draft, I think he had one drop to his name. Could be completely wrong, but I think he had one drop at Alabama. C.D. Lamb went there. Henry Ruggs going to the, the 49ers at 13. Mekhi Beck to the Jets. I had a, Isaiah Simmons going to the Panthers. Derek Brown to the Cardinals. So you flip those and you got that right. C.J. Henderson, I had him going nine to the Falcons. Traded back with because there's connection with the front office there. Jedrick Wills, I had going to the Buccaneers, had him trading up, which I believe they did trade up for get Tristan Wirfs. Jumped for Mekhi Becton. So, like, if you look at where the t- <laughs> 10 is where Jedrick Wills went, he went to the Browns, though. I had the Browns trading back with the Patriots after they traded back with the Browns. Wait, no. So the Browns were at 10. I had them trading back with the Bucks, who were at 14, and the Patriots trading up with the Browns, who were at 14 then to trade back to 23. Because Ezra Cleveland was getting linked heavily to the Browns at, at the time. That dude was linked heavily with them. I had Jordan Love going to the Saints, which I still think would have been a good fit for them. I had Austin Jackson going to the Dolphins there, so that was right. A.J. Terrell going to the, the Oakland Raiders at the time. 
he went a few picks earlier to the Falcons. And they obviously put Damon Arnett, which uh, we know how that first round went for the Raiders. <laughs> I had Kenneth Murray going to the, the Baltimore Ravens. I had a flip back and forth between him and Patrick Queen. Uh, Kenneth Murray did go first, but the Chargers took him at 24. Pagers traded back instead of trading up. I was most pissed off about that pick because of the fact that Pagers never trade up in the first round. Never trade up in the first round. I had Jalen Johnson going to the Vikings at 22. Justin Jefferson went to the Jaguars at 20. They took Clavon Chison. I had Clavon Chison going to the Cowboys at 17. Xavier McKinney going to the Dolphins at 26. They took Noah Igamanagane from Auburn, the corner safety hybrid. They traded back with the... Who they trade back with? The Packers. They trade back who took Jordan Love at 26. And then uh, Patrick Queen, I had going to the Packers. He went to the Ravens. I had Jalen Rager going to the Eagles because he was linked a lot to the Eagles prior to the draft, like the day of the draft. They were like, they're taking Jalen Rager. I didn't think it'd be before Justin Jefferson, though. That's what surprised me a lot. That surprised me a whole lot. I thought they'd trade back and get him. I didn't think they'd they'd get pass up on Justin Jefferson for Jalen Rager. I had Isaiah Wilson going to the Titans at 29, which obviously did not work out. He was cut after a year. Russ Ross Blacklock going to the 49ers. I think he is on the Texans now. I could be wrong. And then Jeff Gladney going to the Chiefs at 32. They obviously took obviously took Clyde Rosalaire. I had Jalen Johnson, Jeff Gladney flipped back and forth. I took Jalen Johnson for the Vikings because I, I thought he was better, but he was coming off shoulder surgery. So in hindsight, yeah, it made sense. But looking at like <laughs> surgery, sure, don't draft him. Scary. Shoulder surgery. Bad. Jeff Gladney. Worst person. <laughs> so, but yeah, that that was my 2020 NFL mock draft. It's weird looking back. I had Jerry Judy going to the Broncos. That was perfect. But yeah, that's a weird one. I had Jordan Love going to the Saints. I was pretty confident they'd take him. They took Cesar Ruiz, the center from Michigan. I said at the time that he would go to the Saints or Packers during the draft because we did the live stream for the draft. And I said Jordan Love will go to the Saints or Packers. Because I thought he would go to the Patriots. Patriots, Saints, Packers was what I thought. It didn't happen. And then the Patriots traded back. Then it was just process of elimination, Saints, Packers. And then Saints passed on him. So it was like, okay, Packers. <laughs> it's kind of, that's how it worked out. It's not terrible. It's definitely not great. In hindsight, the Justin Herbert thing was stupid. Because the Chargers were obviously going to take a quarterback. I watched Tyra Taylor in Buffalo. Would I build my franchise around him? No. Do I think he got screwed around in Buffalo? Yeah. But do I, again, would I trade Josh Allen for Tyra Taylor? Not in 100 years, unless you're giving like 20 first-round draft picks for with Tyra Taylor. But the Texans don't have that. They have one that I could think of. Because they, <laughs> the Texans are a freaking mess. Good Lord. Yeah, that's, that's probably the worst one. Justin Herbert, back to the Patriots. But they were linked with them quite a bit. And it's like, hey, to be fair, to be fair, they took Matt Jones at 15. So you know what? We'll take we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> I did not think we'd get talking about the 2020 NFL draft again. But that's the world we're living in right now. That is the exact world we're living in. And another world that we're living in as well is the idea of expansion. Oh my goodness, just to keep expanding things. I have been pissed off at the MLS for a few years because of how much they keep expanding the league and just completely avoiding the promotion relegation thing, which would help grow the league a lot throughout the United States. But the money difference between the MLS and the USL is like insane, or the USSL, whatever it's called, the United States Soccer League. It's ridiculous. They would not be able to compete. So if a team went right back down or went up, it'd just be a constant flipping of the same sets of teams, probably. 
But adding more teams is not the answer either. You're going to have freaking 50 teams in this league because you keep adding an expansion team every year. Charlotte, Sacramento, St. Louis are all coming. We added Austin this year. We added, who we added? Nashville. We have Miami. They just added Atlanta, but Atlanta's been really good. So they're fine. But the other teams have sucked ass. <laughs> They've all sucked. With the pockets that Miami has, and they still stink, that's a little bit of an issue. You have freaking David Beckham. Just use that as, <laughs> hey, I'm David Beckham. Higher-pitched higher voice, but David Beckham. And I love David Beckham. I would play for Inter-Miami if I had the opportunity to say hi to David Beckham. My, one of my favorite players growing up. I had a David Beckham LA Galaxy jersey that said Beckham everywhere. No actual sponsor, no logo. <laughs> it just said David Beckham all over it. That's how big of a deal he was. I have a few David Beckham Manchester United jerseys as well. Love David Beckham. But in the world of expansion, we have also the NHL just added Seattle Kraken. They're at 32 teams now, which is a nice even number. Keep it at 32. That should be a law. Don't go over 32. But you know what? These sacks of shit that run these these sports leagues, and we've talked about this before. Sports are awesome, okay? Not only are they entertaining, you can bond with people about it. It's just beautiful. It distracts you from things that are going on in the world that you don't want to think about. That's terrible. It takes things away. It can be beautiful. There's things that are bigger than sports. One of my favorite mantras in the world. But these people that run these leagues are assholes. I've said asshole, asshat, and douche more than I ever thought I would in this show. But no, they're all dickheads. We were just talking to my mom upstairs about the Guitar World Cup and FIFA and all those things. Remember the European Super League or the Super League? That whole thing. Like, soccer for all. Unless you don't have money. Then it's not soccer for all. Then soccer for select few. Oh, you have insane oil money, but no infrastructure to build the World Cup? Build stadiums for the World Cup? Oh, you're too freaking hot to play the World Cup in the summer like normal, so we had to play it in the winter? Oh, people are dying because you're building these stupid stadiums? Soccer for all. Okay? It's the same thing. The NFL, I saw this today, is talking about more expansions. And Pro Football Talk, which is, you know, we've <laughs> made fun of Pro Football Talk quite a bit on the Logan Blackman show before because I think it's... it's Mike Florio and Chris Broussard are like the same person to me. Like the exact same person. Like Mike Florio said there was a 95% chance that Deshaun Watson got traded to the Dolphins in the last trade window. That obviously did not happen as Deshaun Watson is rightfully still in Houston because he's got a trial and he's not played. So obviously they're not going to trade for him. You don't want to get the trade and they go, oh, well, uh, he has to go to jail now, but screw you. Or they get a compensatory pick or something, like an expansion draft. Like they get the first pick in the supplemental draft. Like that means anything anymore. You don't have good players coming in the supplemental draft anymore. Like you had Bernie Kosar in the 80s. I couldn't name a single person in the supplemental draft now. Like people are fighting for the number one pick in the supplemental draft, draft Bernie Kosar. Which I like Bernie Kosar. I think he's an underrated quarterback. Had some good memories in Cleveland. Just sadly, <sighs> fell short a few times by mostly, famously, by the hands of John Elway and the Broncos. But 40 teams. 40 teams. Pro Football, Pro Football Talk talked about this today. And then Sunday Night Football and NBC, which is Pro Football Talk's an NBC sports show, so it makes sense. 40 teams, if the expansion process begins from 30, 32 begins, 40 becomes the natural ending point. 
what would result in eight divisions of five teams each, and it would make sense to that point to have a 16-team playoff. 40 teams. Like, what cities need the NFL? What big cities are there? Like, would Sacramento get a team? St. Louis get a team back? Would we hopefully put San Diego a team, give San Diego a team? What cities, why do we need to add more? 32 is enough. We don't need to add more teams. The last expansion team we had was the Texans in 2002. We don't need to add anymore. They're fine. Like, we don't have the markets for these teams anymore. You've got teams in almost every big city in the in the United States, apart from St. Louis and Los Angeles and San Diego, because you ripped the teams out of there to send them to Los Angeles. Then you got Sacramento could be in there as well, like we talked about earlier. What else? Tulsa? God forbid we put a team here in Des Moines. <laughs> Is there any cities I'm forgetting about here? You're going to throw a team in London or Mexico or Canada? The London thing is stupid. Please don't do that. I know it makes sense for money because you're going to get tourists. You're not going to have any season ticket holders. You're going to make a shitload of money through tourism and going, oh, well, I'll watch an NFL game today. You'll get all the merchandise and all that. Don't do that. That is the dumbest idea. Please don't do that. And God forbid, don't don't relocate a team to London. That was talked about a few years ago when the Chargers LA thing started to fall on its face, which was all expected. Like, the thing in London would be so much better. But this would mean a team in Mexico City. This would mean a team in probably Toronto. But like, what, what other, am I just completely blanking on cities now? Is there any big city that I'm completely forgetting about and you're probably screaming at your radio or show, whatever, Oakland, did they get a team back? Building an insane stadium for the A's, at least it's proposed to be a insane stadium. Do we put our team actually in New York City? <laughs> Instead of New Jersey? Albany? <laughs> the cap put a team at every capital in the United States? Anchorage? Hawaii? <laughs> I don't know. I the NFL, I do not like expansions. Stop expanding. Okay, I know money, I know player safety is not important to anybody at all, but stop expanding. You don't have the players anymore, this is just going to be diluted product now. You're going to have like, three good players a team, that's it. Like, Who wants to play really in a 16-team fantasy football league? That's the same thing with adding 40 or having 40 teams in the NFL. What? Wait. We don't have the facilities for that. <laughs> You're going to have players getting drafted in the first round of the NFL draft that should have no business draft getting drafted in the first round. No business getting drafted in the first round. But we have 40 picks now. Please, I'm begging you, do not expand. I would love a team in Des Moines, Iowa. Des Moines is a growing city right now, but I'm not that desperate. It's more of a joke than anything. I'm not really serious when I say I want a team in Des Moines. Please do not expand the NFL. Please. Okay? And God forbid, do not do it in London. Good freaking Lord. I can't believe I have to... I mean, they're not listening to me, obviously, but I, I don't I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it. It's going to happen, but I, I don't want it. I do not want it. <laughs> please. Please, NFL, do not hurt us like this. 
going to have crappy product every single week now. Oh, my goodness. Like, we moved the Jets to L.A. Oh, my goodness. But while we're on the topic of the NFL, we've got a Thursday night football game coming up. we got the Patriots and Falcons rematch of the Super Bowl. We had the Falcons losing 20-3 to at one point to the Cowboys last week before getting shit-stomped worse than that to the Cowboys. And now we've got arguably the hottest team in the NFL right now, Mac Jones and the Patriots taking on the Falcons. I, the Patriots look good. I know we made fun of them a few weeks ago because their few marquee wins were against the Jets and Panthers. But, hey, they're looking really good. Mac Jones is looking as good as we thought. We said he was getting put in the best situation, much like Justin Herbert was, when he got put in a situation in Los Angeles with the Chargers. Get a learn from Tyrod Taylor. Get good weapons around you. Said Trey Lance was in a good situation as well. Learn from Jimmy Garoppolo. Good situations. And it has worked out mightily. <laughs> and he fell to 15. And we kind of made fun of the fact that, remember in the draft when the Bears traded up to get Justin Fields? There was like that little thought in the back of your head that the Bears were going to take Mac Jones. And it was kind of funny thinking about it back then because Bears fans would have lost their shit. They would have completely lost their minds. And that was what the funny part was. I remember laughing about it on the live stream we did. It's like, oh my God, they're going to select Mac Jones. They're going to take Mac Jones, aren't they? <laughs> they're going to do it. I was ready for the eventual meltdown that Chicago Bears Twitter would have, which is already a meltdown anyways, and bashing Mac Jones before he's even played the NFL. Now he's arguably the rookie of the year. I know we talked about on Monday, Jamar Chase, but it's between those two. I guess you could kind of you could throw Kyle Pitts in there as well. He's had an amazing rookie year as well, 606 yards receiving this year. But yeah, it's I would say it's mostly between Mac Jones and Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase has kind of slowed down a little bit, as have the Cincinnati Bengals, but hey, He's still a baller. He's still a freaking baller, and I totally expect the Patriots to win this game. Totally. They're favored by seven on the road. ESPN gives the Patriots a 69 LOL percent chance to win this game. Yeah, I, I and Cordell Patterson's questionable. You're going to have to rely on Mike Davis to get your points. You just got shit-stomped by the Dallas Cowboys. You got beat by the Panthers. If you If the Patriots lose this game, I will be absolutely floored. <laughs> And I hate that Mac Jones is on the Patriots. I hate that he's on the Patriots because I like him. I like all these rookie quarterbacks. I hate the teams they're on, though. Apart from, you know, I don't hate the Bears and I don't hate the 49ers. So I guess I'm fine with Trey Lance and Justin Fields. I could, I hate the Jaguars for a reason I've stated before. I Not, not Urban Meyer specifically. It's not really just Urban Meyer. It's because they're assholes in general. I hate the Jets and I hate the Patriots. And yet all these fun quarterbacks got put on these garbage teams. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, but we got some other fun games this weekend as well that we'll talk about a little more come Thursday, or Friday show, I guess, because I'll record it on a Thursday, but you guys will hear it on Friday. And we will see what happens this weekend, and I am very, 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 very excited. Hopefully the Bills can keep it going, taking on the Colts this weekend. Should be a fun one. I'm all for it. Jonathan Taylor, you know what? You have a good game. But just don't have too much fun. Don't have too much of a good game to where you beat the Bills. Don't do that. I need you to score some touchdowns for me. But, hey, you don't, don't score too many, okay? Score one and then lose 45-7. to seven. I'm cool with that. Get, like, 99 yards and a touchdown, but lose. That's perfect in my world here. But we got some games in college football coming up as well this weekend. Or this week, I guess. Not really just the weekend. We got Maxion going on right now. We got Toledo taking on Ohio. Toledo's winning 14-6. Eastern Michigan is taking on Eastern Michigan. 
West versus East rivalry there. Remember when we did this on the Logan Blackman show, the battle of the lesser-known Michigan schools? Remember that awesome rivalry we did? We, we, that's totally legit. Uh, Eastern Michigan is currently losing 7 to nothing. Both teams are 6-4 and 3-3 and three and three in the MAC, but Eastern Michigan is driving. They are on the Western Michigan 27-yard line. Bowling Green is beating Miami of Ohio 7 nothing. And then Wednesday night, we've got Northern Illinois Buffalo, which should be a really fun game. Rocky Lombardi taking on the Buffalo Bulls. I've been to that stadium before in Buffalo. It's a little bigger than what I was expecting. I hate tracks on the outside of fields for FBS programs. I'm cool if they would like lower level colleges and co like FCS schools, but FBS, get the track, get rid of the track, get rid of it. That's one of the issues I have there. It's just so far away, so far away, but Northern Illinois is probably going to win. And then we got Central Michigan taking on Ball State. And then Thursday, we got Louisville and Duke playing. I'm expecting Malik Cunningham to have himself a day. Good Lord. Malik Cunningham has had an insane year running the ball. Insane. 16 touchdowns on the ground this year. Duke gives up a .1 less yard a game than 500. They are 499.9 yards game given up. Malik Cunningham should have himself an amazing game. They're favored by 19 <laughs> and a half, which is kind of scary, but I they should be able to do it. If you look at some of the recent games Duke's had, every game in their last five, four of the last five games they've lost have been decided by double digits. The one game that wasn't was against Georgia Tech. 48-17 against Vautech. 54-29 against Pitt. 45-7 against Wake Forest. And 48-0 against Virginia. And Louisville's coming off a 41-3 win versus Syracuse. A Syracuse team that has a pretty decent defense. And they trounced them like that. This is going to be a long day for the Blue Devils. <laughs> which I am cool with. I am perfectly fine with. But, oh my goodness, and we're talking on the world of college football. This is something that popped up today. And I don't know how real it is, but I'm not the most surprised about it. Not really that surprised. Uh, there's something going on at Oklahoma right now, and I would not be surprised one bit if the next LSU coach is Lincoln Riley. And every single coach who's anybody is going to get linked to this job. So I'm not, I'm not going to go, oh my God, he's going to the LSU. Every coach is going to be linked with LSU. This is a team that won a national championship two years, a year and a half ago, or two years ago. They're going to get linked with everybody. If you're a big college team that is somewhat struggling this year to a certain extent, get ready to have your coach get linked with them. Hell, Mike Tomlin's getting linked with this job. Or US, I guess he was linked with USC. USC and LSU are the two of the biggest jobs in college football. Like... Let's just go through some of the, like, Fickle's going to get linked from Cincinnati. Get, he's already linked. Might as well continue to link him. Dabo, he's going to get linked. Cincinnati, Clemson struggled a lot this year. I know they're 7-3, and three, but this is really below their standard of what you'd expect from Clemson. What other teams do we got on here? Lincoln Riley, we've already talked about him. Matt Campbell's going to get linked all the freaking time. I, the only job Matt Campbell, I think, will ever take is Ohio State. But until Ryan Day loses more than one regular season game at Ohio State, I think he's got that job pretty nailed on. <laughs> I think he's pretty much set up at there. I, Matt Campbell gets linked everywhere because it's Iowa State. I mean, like we've said, he's got 40% of their Big 12 wins. Like, he's going to get linked everywhere because everybody's going to go, oh, he's too good for Iowa State. So he's going to get linked regardless if he's actually going to leave or not. Oh my God, who else do we got on here? Ryan Day will probably get linked. Mel Tucker is already linked with LSU. He's the Michigan State head coach. 
James Franklin's been linked with USC. He we got he was linked so much a few weeks ago. He said that they were playing. Oh, Who did they say they were playing? They were getting ready to play Illinois at the Big House, which I don't think I. Or the horseshoe. There was something. It was some weird mix-up. Like the team was wrong and the stadium was wrong that they were playing, and he's gonna get linked there. PJ Fleck. I mean, I could only hope, but he he's not gonna get Scott. No, Scott Frost. You stay where you are. You stay where you are, Scott Frost. You do not move. Uh, Hugh Freeze. I bet will be linked here. He's been at Liberty. Maybe he gets started and linked to some of these spots here. Any teams lower in this league? Cristobal from Oregon. Probably not. They're a top three program right now. David Shaw, he gets linked with the NFL like every other year, even though Stanford hasn't been good in a little bit. Who else? Who else do we got here? SEC teams. Oh, Jimbo Fisher's definitely going to get linked. Dan Mullen's going to get linked to these jobs as well. Lane Kiffin is going to get linked with these as well. There's a lot. There's every single coach who's anybody in college football is going to get linked in some capacity, regardless if it's actually true or not, to LSU or USC. That's how it's just going to work. I'm surprised as hell, and we talked about this on the show, that Clay Helton lasted this long at USC. He's been talked about getting fired from that job ever since he took the job in the first place. Every single year, it was like, oh, Clay Helton's getting fired. Oh, the boosters don't like him. And then one year, he got fired, and then they brought him back like a day later. It was one of the weirdest things I've seen in a little bit. But yeah, Lincoln Riley being linked with LSU, not surprised whatsoever. I guess you could go... He's done what he can do at Oklahoma. He'll get them in the playoff every year. They'll have a fun offense and then get shit stomped by an SEC team. It just the more things change, more stay the same. <laughs> and Oklahoma's gonna move to the SEC with Texas. This is what we're talking about. More things change, more things stay the same. You might be moving conferences, but you're still gonna get your ass slapped by these SEC teams. Texas gets out recruited by Texas AM. Do you think that's gonna change when they move to the SEC? I don't think so. AM's a lot more fun to watch than Texas is. Good freaking Lord. This lost to Kansas, and we're talking about them being an SEC team. It's official, though. And we've got, like, Cincinnati, BYU, UCF, and uh, someone else. Houston? Is, that, is Houston coming to the Big 12, or is there someone else? Memphis? Someone like that. Someone else from the AAC is coming to the, the Big 12. But the, the Provo, Utah to Orlando, Florida. That's a wide-ass conference we got going on here with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, but now it's back to 12 teams, so that's positive. Oh, my goodness. NCAA football. What would we do without you? <laughs> so much drama every single day, and the NCAA is just freaking mess anyways. I saw this quote on Twitter today from Mark Emmert, uh, the NCAA president, said the move to restructure college sports is not being driven by fear, but rather a desire to seize opportunity. The reform constitution will be voted upon January at the January NCAA convention in Indianapolis, We've never had a moment where we had a state legislators, congressional actors, the courts, the economic dynamics, and even the pandemic all providing a very important catalyst for change. And then Paul Pabst on Twitter said the NCAA is as necessary as the guy catching the footballs for QB warming up before the game. Hey, you know what? When you have a cannon arm like myself, you don't want to hurt the other quarterback's hands. So I think that's very important. (laughs) We had a lineman in high school that would always want to run over and catch balls and he complain every single time because we were throwing too hard. It's like, nah, this isn't throwing hard. We can zip it in there if you want to. This isn't throwing hard. This ain't throwing hard. I'm not saying that I was ever the best quarterback ever. I was pretty damn close, but I wasn't the best. But I could throw I could throw the shit out of the football. I could I could throw the shit out of the football. 
I still can't. And I haven't played football for two and a half years. I could, You saw the video we did. I can still throw. There's a Division Four. What? That's weird. Oh, I can't count. My eyes must not be where I was looking at ESPN. And they said Division Four. It's Division Three. I just can't see. But you saw me throw 55 yards in a video. Okay, less than 55 yards in a video. If you haven't, make sure you go subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can go watch it yourself. But speaking of people that can throw the shit out of the football, we've got our Week 11 quarterback prospect rankings here for you today. Yes, sir. We are back with some rankings. And this is probably one of the lamest lists we've had in a while because nothing has really changed. Everything apart from two things. I guess three things. Has changed. We flipped two people and added someone to the top ten. That's it. And Nate started at number one. Uh, number one still Matt Corral. Because mostly because Malik Willis didn't play. But Matt Corral, again, another fairly simple game from Ole Miss. They beat Texas A&M this past Saturday at home. Beat them down pretty good, but it was a fairly easy game for Ole Miss, like we said. Corral didn't have to get asked to do too much. Uh, Jerry and Ely, again, carried the load for Ole Miss's offense. He had back-to-back 100-yard, 100 yards, 100- Plus, 10 plus yard rushing games for Ole Miss this season. Corral, he's hurt. You can tell he's not playing 100%, which all the credit in the world to him. All the credit in the world to him. And he's taking simple throws. He's not getting hit as much because that Tennessee game, he got rot. He carried the ball 30 times. He got sacked five times, which is the most he got sacked this season. That dude is not healthy. So LSU and Lane, or LSU, Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss are trying to take as much pressure as off of him as, as they can without getting him killed on the football field. And he still put up nice numbers. I mean, 247 yards, touchdown, no turnovers. It's fine. You got the dub. That's all that really matters. And his numbers, he hasn't thrown for over a touchdown in a game since, like, October 2nd, since the the Tennessee game. So it's been – it's or no, October 16th, the Tennessee game. I think I wrote down the second earlier, but that was wrong because I was just looking at one touchdown. But he hasn't done that in – he hasn't thrown multiple touchdowns in a game in a little bit. Is that concerning? Not really. He's just playing smart. He still has over 10 rushing touchdowns. The run offense has not been as predicated on him anymore, which is nice because that means he's not getting hit as much, which is what you need to see from him. He hasn't turned the ball over a lot. He's thrown two interceptions this season. He's playing smart, safe, which is what we need to see from him. Uh, He's still number one. They're playing Vanderbilt this week, so they really shouldn't have any problems here. (laughs) He should have a very nice game. He should throw multiple touchdowns against Vanderbilt. Number two, Malik Willis. Didn't play. Not really a lot to talk about. Uh, they are playing a really tough team, though. They're playing Louisiana this weekend, who's got an equally, not no, not equally, just a really good quarterback in their own right, and Levi Wallace, or Levi Wallace, Levi Lewis, I was getting Bill's guys on the brain. He's a baller. We saw that last year against Iowa State when they beat him 31-14 or something along, 31-17, either way, beat them pretty good. Levi Lewis is a very good quarterback, and they're 9-1. They're a 9-1 football team. It's at Liberty, which is nice. The game is on ESPNU at 3, so if you want to watch it, I would recommend you watch that game because it's going to be two very fun offenses to watch there. Uh, yeah, Malik Willis needs to step back a little bit, and I hope he did this during the bye week. Step back and realize, I don't need to do everything, which he does to a certain extent, but not try to force things as much because that's what ultimately lost the game against Ole Miss. He threw two interceptions while they were driving in Ole Miss territory. Because he tried to force a ball that wasn't there. The end of the game one, I could take or hit. I could take or leave that one because that was just a. I want to get the ball in the end zone. Stupid play. Should have just thrown it out of bounds. Save time, anyways. But I see what he was doing. The first, inter- the other interception in the red zone was not great. 
Not a good interception at all. He tried to put a ball on a line that should have been floated over top. Safety ran over it easily. Jumped the route. Picked. Easy. So I hope he takes himself back and goes... Because he's really talented. I think talent-wise, he's better than Matt Corral. But this season, he has not played better than Matt Corral. We saw that in the game when they played against each other. But I still think he's the number two quarterback in this draft class. Number three, Kenny Pickett from Pitt. Like I said, it's going to be pretty boring. The same for a little bit now. They they won. Pitt won. Kenny Pickett threw three touchdowns in the game, 346 yards. But the interception he threw was bad. Uh, Pitt came, or North Carolina came back into the game as well. Monsoon hits at the most opportune time for Pittsburgh when North Carolina has the ball in overtime, <laughs> which I feel kind of bad for him because that's really how the game shifted. North Carolina couldn't do anything on the ball with that monsoon hitting. But yeah, not, it wasn't the best game for Pickett. The interception was bad. Still, either way, they won the game, 346 yards, and it was wet. I'll give him some slack on that, but the interception was atrocious. If you haven't seen it, that's the game against Miami. We talked about that one as well, where there were some balls in that game that were not good, and we're talking about the interceptions that he threw. He needs to stop forcing it at times. He's played really, really well. This isn't saying like he needs to change the entire game. No, we are not saying that. He's thrown 32 touchdowns and only has four interceptions this season. He is playing fine. He's playing fine. He has 231 yards on the ground as well. He's played awesome. But those, there's a couple interceptions there that are not great. And they're playing Virginia, and they didn't play Brandon Armstrong last week, Virginia, against Notre Dame. So I'm assuming he's going to come back from this game. So this will be a very high-scoring affair. At least I would assume so. Because Brandon Armstrong is Virginia's only offense. When he's playing, Virginia plays very, very well. When he doesn't play, they play pretty bad and pretty like, oh, they can't do anything. Defensively, they're not very good, though. I would expect this to be a very nice game for Kenny Pickett. For Carson Strong, like we said, this is going to be a tough game. You're playing a very, very good defense in San Diego State on the road. Are we surprised they lost? No. Am I surprised it was close? No. I'm not surprised at all. I think I picked Nevada to cover this week, which I think they did. I don't remember what the spread was, but they lost by two. But Carson Strong, three touchdowns, 350 yards. Still doesn't run the ball very well, but has had a nice season. He's very nice. I like Cole Turner. I like Romeo Dubs. I like Carson Strong, and then he keeps it spot at four. Uh, number five, Desmond Ritter. This is probably, I guess I haven't thoroughly checked this. This I think this was his best statistical game all season this past weekend against USF, which was not a pretty game at the start. Not a good game at all, really, at the start. They were kind of keeping USF in it before kind of opening the game up later. But USF's kind of bad. They're really bad. They should not have any trouble with USF. But they, he had a nice game. It's his first time throwing for over 300 yards this season. It's the most passes he's thrown his way through 39, completed 31 balls as well. Completed almost 80% of his passes, had two touchdowns, also had 65 yards on the ground, which is a season high this year. Also had a season high, joint season high, 13 carries and a touchdown on the ground there as well. Awesome game. Really good game. Against a team that you should have a really good game against. So I'm not surprised Desmond Ritter had himself a day against USF. It's kind of, it is kind of hard at times to watch Cincinnati struggle against these teams. They won 45 to 28. They won comfortably. They're up decently at halftime. But USF kind of hung around. It was it was rough at times to watch. It was rough. But they ended up winning, so it didn't matter. And he had a really nice game statistically, so he stays at five. Number six, Sam Howell. Nice game against Pitt. Nice game. This was a very interesting game to watch because North Carolina did not start off very good. 
Pitt got off to a 23-7 lead, and then North Carolina started coming back. Then we talked about the Pickett interception, and then North Carolina stalling at the one-yard line, and then getting drawn back, and then having to settle for a field goal, and then going to overtime, Pitt scoring, and then the monsoon hitting, which is what we saw with Howell's interception. Now, this is the first game in like five weeks he hasn't rushed for over 90 yards. <laughs> he ran for over 90 yards four consecutive games. This game he only got 28 on 17 carries. He got beat up, and I'm, he's got some sort of injury. I think I got an update about that yesterday. I gotta, I should probably Google this because I think he's hurt. Is he going to play this week? Upper body injury. Yeah, he got rocked on the very last play of the game where he threw the interception. He got up slow. We talked about that on Friday. Talking about how slow he got up. They talked about it again on Monday. And then I, right after I got done recording the show, I got the update. Like, oh, Sam Howell is hurt, which is not ideal for North Carolina. <laughs> and for anybody like Sam Howell, which is me. But Sam Howell's been awesome this year. 717 yards rushing. Inconsistent, though. That's the issue. North Carolina and Sam Howell have been very inconsistent. His stats look nice, but some of the numbers are worse than what they were last year. Rushing numbers blew, blow the other ones out of the water. Blow his rushing numbers out of the water, which we talked about preseason. That he's a good athlete, underrated athlete, but 717 yards, nine touchdowns, a little better. A little better. Last time he didn't have over 100 yards, 90 yards rushing was on October 2nd against Duke. That was the last time he didn't have over 190 yards rushing in a game. But the interception, rough interception. Yeah, he has to stay at six, though. I would, I could hear arguments for him to raise up, drop Carson Strong a little bit, but Carson Strong didn't do anything to lose a spot either. So, yeah, I'm, I'm good with stick, keeping him at six. They're playing Wofford this week, so I'm not really, I don't think North Carolina is too bothered by it if Kenny Pickett or geez, Sam Howell can't play. I don't think it's something that they're really concerned about. Wofford's one game this year, won one game this year. They're one and nine. I don't think they're going to struggle if, Kenny, if Sam Howell does not play. Number seven, I contemplated this one a little bit, but Hendon Hooker is at number seven. I think that this game against Georgia was a uphill battle anyways. I thought Tennessee would play a lot better than what they did. But he still put together a decent performance. 244 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Not his best when you're looking at the games he's played against other top 15 teams this year where he's played really, really well. And we talked about that last week. This was still a decent game. It was uphill battle. The number one defense in college football, maybe ever. At least that's what it feels like. And he, played, he didn't do anything terrible. I, that's the main thing here. They may have lost 41-17 to at home, but I don't think he played bad. I think if you look at the next person, Sam Hartman, who put up very good numbers, like passing yards, touchdowns, he had a good rushing day as well, but he completed 42% of his passing through three interceptions. They got the dub, which is the most important thing. I don't think Sam Hartman's going to be too bothered by the fact that this is back-to-back -back games where he's completed sub-50% of his passes. I don't think he cares that in the past two weeks he's thrown five interceptions. I think he just cares that they got the dub. And rightfully so. That's what your main job is at the quarterback. You cannot be bothered by all these turnovers. You got to go next play, next play, next play, next play. You got to have a, uh, what's it called? A short-term memory. You can't be dwelling on penalty or turnovers like that. And they won the game, 45-42. Fun game. But yeah, I not that Hayden Hooker played that well comparatively. <laughs> like he didn't, he didn't blow the doors off of anybody. But he's played well this year. And I think that playing against the number one team in the nation versus NC State, who's a good team in their own right. I don't want to take anything away from NC State. But three interceptions, 42% completion percentage, which I know completion percentage is not everything in regards to the, how accurate a quarterback is, but it's not a great look. Yeah, back-to-back -back games of sub-50% completion percentage. It's not great. 
He's had a really good season, though. So I, I had to drop him down one, but it's not like oh, I'm dropping him out of the top ten. Uh, number nine, Dorian Thompson Robinson. He played and looked good. He threw an interception, didn't throw a touchdown, but he had 99 yards rushing on the day. He averaged a first down, more than a first down every carry. That's what you want. That's what you want. Nine carries, 99 yards, touchdown, big-time dub versus Colorado. Came back in the second half, played well. Dorian Thompson Robinson's a very good quarterback, and I'm glad to see he was back. This was a game that he needed to have after not playing for two weeks. One of them was an injury. The other one was the bye week. This was a nice game. I, I said he was going to have a nice game, and he did. Maybe you'd want to see him throw a passing touchdown in this game, but hey, 99 yards on the ground and a touchdown there is fine enough for me. Over 350 total yards of offense, that's good. That's good. And then number 10 is Bailey Zappi from Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky, other than the past few seasons, has been known for being a pass-heavy offense. You look at Brandon Doherty, you look at Mike White, you know, legendary Jets quarterback Mike White, ballers. They just throw the ball all the time. The past few seasons, they have not really been that. They've kind of rotated quarterbacks like crazy, but Bailey Zappi transferred from Houston Baptist. Remember last year or two years ago, whenever it was, when Houston Baptist almost beat Texas Tech? This Bailey Zappi was the quarterback for that. He leads the nation in passing yards. He leads the nation in passing touchdowns this year. He only has 70, seven inter- geez, 70 intercepts, seven interceptions. He has multiple three-plus touchdowns game. When I say multiple, every single game he has played this year has been a three-plus touchdown game. Every single game he has played has been three-plus touchdowns. He has multiple five-plus touchdown games, and his record this year has been seven in the first game of the season against, who was it against? I wrote it down. Tennessee Martin. Seven touchdowns week one. He's balling out. He is balling out. He also had 424 yards in that game as well. Western Kentucky, I mean, his numbers are going to be great because of the system they run, but that shouldn't be able to, we shouldn't bash him for that. His numbers are fantastic. They're better than Mike White's. They might be better than Brandon Mart- Brandon Doherty's, who had one 4,800-yard season, one 5,000-yard season. He's got three games left. That's including the bowl game and maybe the conference championship because they are currently atop the Conference USA on the west side. I don't know how the conference looks for Conference USA in regards to their divisions. But I know they're at the top. They're six and four right now. Well, now I gotta see. Now I gotta see where they, how they do these things. The East. Oh, I guess conference. I was kind of thinking conference USA is more, but I, I kind of forgot UTSA, Southern Miss, Rice. We got the Texas schools in there. UTEP, North Texas. So yeah, I guess that makes sense. Western Kentucky being on the, the East, but it just feels weird because you know West was on the East side. It's like Justin Herbert and the Senior Bowl playing for the South. That's weird. <laughs> but Bailey's happy. Welcome. Welcome to the top 10. I had to drop Jane Daniels. Jane Daniels, he had a decent game this past week. They had to come back against Washington. Number one pass defense in college football. Threw the ball. All right. It rained a lot. I mean, Washington and rain. Oh, wow. Really surprising. 90 yards, one passing touchdown, one interception. Also had 56 yards on the ground at a touchdown there. Came back and won. Yeah, eight touchdowns, eight interceptions. I, I got to drop. Even though I, I love Jaden Daniels, I have to drop him out of the top 10. But I also got Malik Cunningham, like we talked about earlier, has been balling out on the ground this year. He got held to the held a little bit on the ground this year. He only had one touchdown against Syracuse on the ground, but had four through the air with 209 yards passing. And then Jake Hayner's in there as well, three passing touchdowns and a dominating win versus New Mexico, 34-7. to uh, Devin Leary is still in there as well after a very nice performance against Wake Forest. Four touchdowns, 408 yards in the game. And then the last one, 
This is an order of last name. I'm just kind of reading them how suspenseful it feels. Emery Jones is back against Samford, which on Friday, we said, I can't believe I forgot to say this on Monday, we said Samford will probably beat Georgia be, or Florida because that's just how Florida's been this year. Probably turn it over a crap ton as well. They didn't turn it over. Samford just came to play. <laughs> it was a 52-70 to 70 game, and Samford was winning for a little portion of this game. But Emory Jones is not the reason Samford, like, they scored 70 points. Their defense just couldn't stop anybody. Emory Jones threw six touchdowns, no turnovers, also had a touchdown on the ground, seven total touchdowns with 464 yards through the air and 86 yards on the ground. What a performance from Emory Jones. I know it was an FCS school, but that FCS school dropped 52 points on your defense. The offense needs to play well, and that's what Emory Jones and co. did. They scored 70 points. 52 is a lot to give up. So is 70. And Florida's deep offense came to play on Saturday. So in a recap, here is your top 10 and who they are playing this weekend. So we got Matt Corral at number one. They're taking on Vanderbilt. Malik Willis at number two, taking on Louisiana, which will be a very fun game. Again, 3 o'clock on ESPNU if you want to watch it. Number three, Kenny Pickett and Pitt will take on Virginia. Nevada and Carson Strong at number four, taking on Air Force, which will be a very fun game. Like we said, Mountain West is a tough conference. Very tough conference and a very fun conference to watch. So I recommend watching that one as well. Air Force got a nice defense. Number five, Desmond and Cincinnati will take on SMU, which could be a very interesting game. Uh, number six, Sam Howell and North Carolina are taking on Wofford, like we said, but Sam Howell might not play this week. Wouldn't be shocked or surprised at all if he did not play. Number seven, Hendon Hooker and Tennessee will be taking on South Alabama. We're not the best team, but we talked about Jalen Tolbert, the wide receiver from there. He was at number 10 in our latest rankings. He was number 10 in our preseason rankings as well. He's really the only threat that they have. Really. And I like Jalen Tolbert a lot, but Tennessee shouldn't have any issues against South Alabama before taking on Vanderbilt the next week. Uh, number eight, Sam Hartman and Wake Forest are going to Clemson. This could be Clemson's ticket back into the top 25, even though they have struggled. Even though they're 7-3, and three, they have struggled a lot. Uh, number nine, DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, and UCLA will take it on USC. One of my favorite games in college football. Love watching this game. Now, it... It's always fun. One of the main reasons I like watching this game is because they always wear their home colors, both teams. They have to take a timeout from one of the teams, the away team, for wearing their home colors. But UCLA, USC on Fox, 3 p.m. Central Time. So you're going to have to flip back and forth between USC, USC and UCLA and Liberty versus Louisiana on Saturday. I'm sorry I have to tell you this, but that's that'll be a fun one. I fully expect UCLA to win that game, though. At the number 10, Bailey Zappi and Western Kentucky are taking on Florida Atlantic. So that should be kind of a fun one as well. So that is your top 10, and that is your Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope, I sure hope you enjoyed the show today. And as we said at the beginning, make sure you're following the Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media. You can go back to the beginning if you forgot them already. Go and follow the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify since you're listening to it. Go and subscribe to the YouTube channel. I hope you enjoyed it. If not, I can only apologize. If you did, that's fantastic. Thank you for enjoying the show. <laughs> Thank you, Logan, for having a good show. But if you didn't, uh, screw you, Logan, for putting on a crappy performance today. I do apologize, though. So with that being said, hopefully the U.S. has more success in 2022 in regards to World Cup qualifying. World Cup qualifying is over in 2021. At least I, I believe so. They have a friendly against Bosnia in December. But World Cup qualifying in 2021 is over. So now we need to focus on 2022. We had a few teams qualify for the World Cup this weekend. We had the Netherlands qualified today, England qualified, Serbia qualified, 
So now we are going to have to see Portugal and Italy in the playoff. Italy has the longest non-loss streak in soccer football history, and they are in the playoff for the World Cup. Portugal is one of the most talented teams in the world, and they just lost to Serbia and Alexander Mitrovic. Like, that's insane. It's insane. But United States, hopefully they can make it back to the World Cup. That would be awesome. Beautiful. Love it because Sweden ain't going to make it with the way they've been playing recently. Oh, man, I need the United States back in the World Cup. You can't be having performances like you did against Jamaica. You need to come away with wins. You just need to win every single game. If you don't, you're at risk at losing out, which is exactly what happened in the last round of World Cup qualifying. And the United States, and we'll be hoping and watching Canada versus Mexico, which is taking place in three minutes. For those of you who don't know, it is 8.02 right now for the Logan Blavin Show. Game kicks off at 8.05, so I'll be watching that one, cheering on probably Canada. <laughs> it's snowing there in Edmonton. But it'll be fun. That'll be a very fun game. With that, I will see you all later. Peace.